If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'll begin reading Romans 1, verses 19. Romans chapter 1. I will start in verse 16. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So this morning, like every Sunday, we have gathered together for one purpose and one purpose alone to worship the Lord. This is why we exist, to worship the Lord. In Heidelberg, Germany in 1563, the Heidelberg Catechism was composed as a teaching tool as well as a helpful guide for pastors. Question one is, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In England in 1646, the writing of the Westminster Shore Catechism began for the purpose of teaching the Christian faith to everyone. This catechism is known for its concise beliefs upon God's word alone. It says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the more time that one spends... Upon Paul's words from Romans 1, Paul's purpose in writing is the unfolding of these two questions. Paul's personal chief purpose was concerning himself with the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, the words that he writes down to this church in Rome is also that. He desired that this church in the largest city in the world at the time to not reflect the world but to stand distinctly upon the foundation of Christ alone in His righteousness. That the righteous live by faith. They live by having the righteousness of Christ, while the unrighteous, they suppress the truth, having God's wrath upon them. Have your sins been washed by the blood of Christ? We have seen God's gospel reveals God's righteousness and God's wrath is also revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. 
Last week we learned much about the wrath of God. Number one, God's wrath is justified. It is against our sin. His wrath is justified. Number two, God's wrath is deserved. We were made in his image. We were made to reflect him. And we have failed. You and I have suppressed the truth of God. We deserve the wrath of God. Number three, his wrath is direct and indirect. There are natural consequences in violating God's law, and the Lord will intervene when it is perfect will to release his wrath. And number four, we are under God's wrath, or we are in Christ under grace. There is no neutral ground. There is no gray area. We are in one of these two categories. There is no condemnation for saints, as we just sang about, but we must not sin and provoke the Lord's anger as his children. I posed this question last week. Have we believed too heavily upon the love of God that we have ignored our sin altogether and the killing of it for the upholding of truth? I hope you made time to think about that question this past week. Because all of the details... Not just the large quantity of time, these small details, these small things, the small things that we seem that are insignificant, they are not. It is all about the Lord. We are to be saints who examine our life because the upholding of the Word of God is for the glory of God. Verse 18 informs us that the Lord's wrath is against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. That is, Individuals who are not honoring the Lord, individuals who are not approaching Him with great reverence for Him as King, lacking devotion to the one who has called us, the neglecting, the rebelling against the Lord and His clear commands, treating others whom He made in His image with injustice, the gossip the slander, that God's wrath is justified and deserved because we as individuals have suppressed his truth. Verse 19 of Romans 1, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. So this world came into existence by Yahweh speaking it by the word of His power out of nothing. Ex nihilio. Creation out of nothing. When Paul penned verse 19, he was speaking of general or natural revelation to the church in Rome. This is not special revelation. Now, general or natural revelation, what is that? It is the truth that creation gives evidence of God's existence and character. Creation gives evidence of God's existence and character. Everyone is generally or naturally aware of God because it is plain to them. The revelation of God in nature is available to all. All of humanity has evidence that God exists. Our physical senses perceive Him and our inner senses understand that we are not alone, and there is a greater power. The knowledge that God is, is universal. Therefore, it is known to all. 
I experienced this in Africa, surrounded by individuals in a village where the majority couldn't read, couldn't write, had never heard the Word of God, never heard the law of God, but they themselves were able to articulate with great clarity by what they could see that there was a God and they were without excuse. It says what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So what can be known about God is plain to all, even those who suppress the truth. Verse 19, the word known is very important. What can be known, this is referring to knowing God intellectually, not personally, not intimately. It is speaking of a general knowledge of God. God has shown all that he exists, and this is true for all time. There might be some listening who declare this is not true, but I assure you there is a major difference. There is a big difference between a person having no knowledge of God and a person who is naturally rebelling against the knowledge of God. If you declare there is no knowledge of God, you are a liar because God has shown you. If you declare that you don't believe in God, you are a liar because you know that God exists. Verse 18 is clear. You need to stop suppressing the truth. You are suppressing the truth with your own unrighteousness that there is a God. You have observed nature and you have observed life. Being an atheist or an agnostic is not a legitimate excuse according to the Lord. And that's whom we must go to. Atheists don't believe in the existence of God. Agnostics declare that you can't prove that there is a God Therefore, they don't hold to faith, and they don't hold to disbelief. But God's Word declares that He has shown His existence to all. So according to God, there isn't an atheist, there is not an agnostic, there are only suppressors of the truth. Psalm 19, 1-6, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day by day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the, all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So nature declares the glory of God. Universal nature shows Yahweh's holy handiwork, his beauty, his power, and his wisdom. In the early church in Acts 17, he was writing and he said this, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopas, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He says, for I passed by and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything." So as Paul was writing, he observed that you have altars displayed in all of your life for you to gather together and to worship whatever God that you are worshiping. In fact, 
You have gone everywhere, and Paul says, I have even perceived that you have an altar to an unknown God. Why is that? All are without excuse. There is a God, and therefore he goes into teaching, let me tell you about the one true living God. And he said, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all on the face of the earth. Having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. He says, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring, being then God's offspring, we are not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So natural revelation is understood by all that there is a God. Even in Athens, they acknowledge the existence of God, having an altar to an unknown God. Even the lost poets in Athens recognized natural revelation. Natural revelation reveals the Lord. Romans 1 verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So creation shows all that there is a God. And so does your conscience. You have knowledge of God's character. Romans 1.32 says, Though they know God's decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. So this verse is telling us that all know God's decree. No one is ignorant. They are just rebelling against the Lord, suppressing the truth. Romans 2 goes more into this, even more telling in Romans 2, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So one does does what the law requires without having the law. This shows the existence of God. Conflicting thoughts goes on in Romans to say, These thoughts exist among the unrighteous, thoughts that accuse or even accuse them. So all understand to some degree basic right and basic wrong. I love the words of Wayne Grudem concerning humanity's guilt. All humanity is guilty before God for sin, even those who do not have the written laws of God in Scripture. You see, the work of law of God is written on every human heart. In Hebrews chapter 10, we find words quoted from Jeremiah 31. This is a covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So God's divine law is written on every heart. Every heart at some level understands Every heart at some level 
places value in something that is found in the character of God. That a lost soul demanding justice because of evil, that's just one example. That God's law is written on every human heart. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So God exists in all that he made. Natural revelation is known to all. And the Lord has also made it plain. His law is written on every heart. He has made it plain. So to the agnostic and to the atheist this morning, hear the words of R.C. Sproul. Your problem is not that you do not know that God exists. Your problem is that you despise the God whom you know exists. Your problem is not intellectual. It's moral. You hate God. You suppress the truth, but there is a God. Perhaps you've gone through something terrible in your life, something you cannot understand. You're you're angry, you're upset, you're questioning what has happened. How could a good God do this? How could a good God allow this? You can't see God in the situation. You can't see God in your present or past trials. But there is a God. God exists and you know He does. And he made you in his image and he made you for his glory. You will not understand everything. You are not all-knowing. I am not all-knowing. But the why of what he is doing is the glory of him. That is the why. We may not understand it. We may not process it correctly. But the why is the glory of God. There is a God and this life is truly all about him. This life is not about us. And it's a fact that your heart will remain restless until you rest in Christ because contentment is not found anywhere else. You're to turn from your sin and turn towards Christ to call on Christ and He will save you to repent of your sins. Otherwise, the wrath of God remains on you. Paul goes on in Romans 1 verse 20 He says, for his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So God's eternal power and divine nature are naturally seen and perceived in this life. This truth has always been and always will be. So God's eternal power His power in creating, His power in sustaining, as John Dean mentioned in his prayer. That's God's eternal power. His power in creating, His power in sustaining. It's clearly seen in this life. Also, God's divine nature. His mercy, His kindness, His graciousness in the things that He has made. The fact that you and I are still here today knowing that God is holy and that we are not. We are understanding He is mercy. He is is kind. He is gracious. There is never a time in which God's eternal power and divine nature have not been perceived. Therefore, at all times, even now, all are without excuse. That God's invisible attributes are clearly perceived by all. So whatever your past or present experiences, whatever your trials or hardships have been, it will not justify... It will not justify your unrighteousness in suppressing the truth that there is 
a God. All are without excuse. God's creation and your conscience reveals to you that God exists. He goes on in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So Paul is declaring that the ungodly know God. They just do not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Now, as a Christian in this room, if you have been born again and you're thinking about this, hopefully you are being reminded that also sounds like me. This past week, you and I have lived as if there is no God. This past week, we have lived and we have failed to give thanks to God. Therefore, we have become self-righteous. We have thought of ourselves more highly than we ought to have thought. You and I have suppressed the truth this past week. But the ungodly, they are condemned. They are without excuse, knowing that God exists through creation and conscience. Fools suppress the truth. That's what they do. Verse 21 informs the church and the lost of two things. Number one, lost souls know that God exists, but they do not honor Him as God. And number two, lost souls know that God exists, but they do not give thanks to God. See, what can be known about God is plain, but they do not honor Him or give thanks to Him. So when the truth of God is suppressed, when God is not glorified, futile thinking occurs and foolish hearts are darkened. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. So foolish hearts say that there is no God. God is the greatest reality in the universe. He is. He's the greatest reality in the universe and all that we see. And the greatest foolishness is the rejection of Him. R.C. Sproul said of concerning Romans 121, the fool is not only being stupid, he is also being wicked because he is denying what he knows to be true. To know that God exists and to not honor Him or give thanks to Him, that is foolishness. And if we have been born again, we must not live foolish lives. That's why we have Proverbs. Christ is the wise son of Proverbs. You and I are the fools. But as creatures who have been born again, creatures who have been saved by God's grace, who are found in Christ, we can also live foolish lives. So we examine our life. We hold up our life to the Word of God and we say, Yes, Lord, I'm going to please you by keeping your commands. Our mind and life is to honor God. When we do not worship Him, we are thankless people. We are prideful and we are foolish and we are living as if there is no God. Our mind and our life is to honor God. Our mind and our life is to live humbly before the Lord with thankfulness. And this thankfulness will be seen in your life. Honoring God and giving thanks to Him is a pattern of God's children. We give thanks to Him. We are thankful for all that the Lord provides. 
I've been thinking about that this past week, thinking about the president of Ukraine who is in the trenches holding a gun and fighting for his country. But if we're Christians who have freedom and we're not giving thanks to him, we are foolish. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So those who don't believe in God claim that they are wise, but they are actually fools. Wyman III said this, Suppose wisdom so often turns out to be foolishness. Suppose wisdom so often turns out to be foolishness. Fools suppress the truth by, of God by elevating themselves, the creature. You love yourself. Fools ignore the Creator while elevating the creature. Fools exchange the glory of the immortal God for false images. So the glory of the immortal God means that the splendor and majesty that belong to the one true God is dismissed and replaced with false worship. The glory of the immortal God means that the splendor and majesty that belong to the one true God is dismissed and replaced with false worship. When souls dismiss God, they don't stop worshiping. It's just an exchange. It's not like you stop worshiping. It's an exchange. You suppress the truth so that you can worship whatever you want to worship because you suppress God. When one exchanges the glory of the immortal God for false images, worship continues. It's just idolatry, and idolatry is foolishness. To worship images of mortal men, to worship images of birds, of animals, and creeping things, to worship while suppressing the truth of God is an exchange. This shows that the foundation... For all false religions is the refusal to acknowledge what they know to be true. And if you and I are standing on that foundation saying that I refuse to acknowledge what I know to be true, that means you are declaring, I am a fool. The truth that God's word says we are to have no other gods except Yahweh. Nor are we to have any idols? And this includes self-worship and self-exaltation. As brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the things that you and I continue to struggle with in this life is thinking too high of ourselves and too little of the Lord. Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep 
my commandments. Deuteronomy 4 says, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. I mean, even God's word, God is speaking to us as images who have been made, we've creatures made in his image to the truth that this is what we find even today. That the law of God is written on every heart. That a golden calf, gods of silver and gold, money, greed, possession, sex, and self are not to be worshipped by us. They are unworthy. They are poor substitutes. And when we worship those things, we are suppressing the truth of God and we are accepting a lie. And God's word says you are foolish if you do that. And as Christians, let us be reminded, as well as non-Christians, no one can serve two masters. Scripture says this, when we keep calling ourselves to a balanced life, when we say it is balanced, it often means that we want to have more than one master. But no one can have more than one master. In Genesis 1, man was given dominion over all of creation. They were not made to worship creation. Idolatry is sin. It is absolute madness. It says we are to have no other gods before the one true living God that exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the God in whom we worship. Longman III declared these words concerning idols. It is clear that idols are unreal, that idols are unprofitable, and their service can only lead to futility and further estrangement from the true and living God. That all false worship is unprofitable, that all false worship separates you from the truth of God. General revelation is given to all, but this revelation does not save. General revelation leaves us all without excuse. General revelation cannot save, therefore special revelation is required. As Christians, I feel like we have often embraced this far too much in our life. Everyone is without excuse. Absolutely, you are correct. That is why God has given us a command to go, therefore, and make disciples by the preaching of the Word of God. That is special revelation. And without that special revelation, no one will be saved. Special revelation is a knowledge necessary for salvation that is revealed to us only in the Holy Scriptures. This should ring lots of bells for us because we hear so much about what is said, what is preached, what is taught that is not the Word of God. But God's Word is the teaching that humanity needs for salvation. Therefore, when the Word of God is not taught, you have a false church. You have a false teacher. Romans 10 is with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction, Jew 
and greed, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? See, he's talking about a belief in the one true living God. It's not talking about the acknowledgement that there is a God. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith does not come through general revelation. Faith comes through special revelation, the preaching of the word of God. There is a God, this is clear to all, but the teaching and preaching of the gospel of God is required for salvation. Special revelation is what saves. The knowledge that there is a God does not save. If you're waiting for a sign, you've been given it already, for Christ has been risen from the dead. Your sign has already been given. You seeing someone rise from the dead today, that will not cause you to have faith in Christ. Jesus addressed this in Luke 16, verse 31. He says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You need the word of Christ. This saves. Universalism, that's a lie. Not all will be saved. Without Christ, one is found guilty. One is found condemned. There is no individual who is innocent or good. Not one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And you may be asking, but what about the innocent person who lives in Africa? If there was an innocent person in Africa, we could talk about that. There's not. Everyone is guilty. Romans 3 says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass was under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So there is no one righteous. But the Lord has provided an alien righteousness. Without Christ, you have a tongue that lies. Without Christ, you have a mouth that is full of curses and bitterness. Without Christ, you have a soul that is swift to shed blood. Without Christ, a person's path is ruin and misery, absent of peace. Without Christ, there is no fear of God. Without Christ, you have the suppression of truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is humanity's only righteousness. This is Paul's heartbeat in this letter, and it's to be our heartbeat as Christians. Notice what I said. That's Paul's heartbeat. That should be our heartbeat as well as Christians. It's not everything that you and I are against. It's everything that you and I are for. That's what it is to be a Christian, 
to understand that the righteousness of Christ is everything, and I'm going to speak about the righteousness of Christ. That is the good news that Paul is giving to this church in Rome. That is what he is writing about over and over and over again from each chapter, from each verse, is the righteousness of Christ is the only true righteousness for the soul. Acts 4, it says, This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is humanity's only righteousness. So there's no denying that God exists. His invisible, his invisible attributes, they are known to all. There is no denying the wrath of God against all who suppress the truth. General revelation leaves us all without excuse. And God has written his law on your heart and my heart. And special revelation is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what is needed for salvation. There is no other way. Salvation cannot be found outside of the righteousness of Christ. And for the Christian this morning, contentment cannot be found outside of the righteousness of Christ. You will not be content. When you begin to suppress the truth, the Spirit will draw you back and remind you, convict you of your sin, and you will repent. But do not live a fool's life as one who has been purchased by the blood of Christ. We are mortal. We have a beginning and we have an end. While our immortal God lives forever. Therefore, you have heard the truth of God today. Repent and believe in the good news of Christ or God's wrath will remain on you. You are without excuse. You are held responsible to worship the Lord and serve Him only. You are held responsible to honor Him and give thanks to Him. Father, I thank You for Your holy word. Lord, we are all without excuse. Father, thank you so much that there is forgiveness found in Christ. For those of us who have been your children for a long period of time, Lord, perhaps there is sin that we have not confessed. There are areas in which, Lord, we have chosen to live for self and not for your glory. We have made peace with our sin and not killed it by the Spirit. Lord, I pray for conviction. I pray that we would come before you in repentance. Lord, and by your Spirit, we would put those things to death. Lord, for the suppressors of truth in this room who are lost, Lord, draw them to you. They are without excuse. They know that you are God. They know that there is a God who exists. For they have heard the gospel this morning. Save them. 
Lord, show them what it is to have a life that finds rest. Rest from sin. A life that is brought about by us being adopted by you, brought into your family, having a father who is good, who is looking after us, a father who is giving us promise after promise, including all things work together for our good as his children and for his glory. Lord, for the weary soul, Lord, I pray that they would find rest in you today. Lord, we are without excuse how gracious you are and kind that you are. How patient you are with us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to gather together this morning. Thank you for allowing us to in a moment, partake of the Lord's table and to sing once again to you. You are the one true living God and our life is to be about worshiping you. It's in Jesus Christ, the name that is above all names. We pray, we say all these things. Amen.